Yeah! In case you're wondering, there's basically nothing Mac can't do. Uh, welcome to our journey through the Old Testament series, week two. We are having fun embracing the 80s journey. Uh, every message is a location, but it's also a journey song. And so this week we're going to talk about open arms. And I'm beyond excited because while we're going to talk about open arms, we're going to fast forward from last week. You're not going to hear from me. I think it's better. Pastor Joseph's back. And if you don't know what that means, Joseph Gilchrist was a part of our staff for four years. He served not only as our high school pastor, but our, on our executive team over all Next Gen Ministries. He was a part of our teaching team, communication team, left a year and a half ago to go back home. Uh, to, he's now the lead pastor of the church he grew up in, took over from his father. Things are going so well, uh, and, and it's so great to have him back. So can you guys, he's here for a wedding, and when I told him, he, I said, you can't come to a wedding and not preach. Everybody wants to hear from you. So can you guys give a, a, a welcome? Welcome home to Pastor Joseph. So I come to you with open arms. Oh, before I go, one other thing. Um, as you guys know, we've been in the middle of our For Everyone campaign. We're trying to continue to build and extend the kingdom. I don't want to say anything too much about it other than every week we say that when you uh, give to this, you're helping us help missionaries, ministry partners, church plants, church revitalizations. What you don't know is that um, they have some, some big vision stuff that they're trying to do. And while they're growing, they're just really, really tight financially. And so because you guys have already continued to step up to the plate uh, for For Everyone, that has allowed us to give, and so $20,000 into what you guys are doing as well. So, as we keep saying, let's all just win together. So journey through the Old Testament, week two. Try not to mess this up. When somebody gives you that big of a blessing and that's like, oh, go preach now, you know? Like, I don't even consider that very kind. No, I'm just kidding. I uh, want to give you a, an update uh, on what we've been doing. I want to tell you about how God is moving, uh, not just down here in Florida, but about how he's moving uh, in New York as well, and, and, and what this, some of this is going toward, right? Um, uh, and, and actually, before I tell you that, I want to tell you how much we miss it. We miss it here. We miss it here. We miss this. This is like family uh, for us. Um, we really miss you. We really miss our pool. You know, the pool, pool part, really important, too. Um, uh, the Sierra and the kids miss y'all like crazy. Uh, here's a picture of my family right here. And we got <clears throat> Zion's five now. He's in kindergarten, obsessed with Ninja Turtles. Uh, and Eden's eight. Uh, she's in third grade, um, just loves life. She's amazing. And Sierra's 29, and she, you know, God's still working on her, and... You can pray for me deeply, you know. It's the other way around. Everybody knows that. Um, but yeah, um, no, we, we super miss it. And, but God has been doing some incredible things. Um, in fact, uh, uh, I, I feel like I'm there representing Cape Christian. Like, you know, we've transplanted almost 80%, like, and I mean that 80%. Um, and we've been able to do some, some amazing things. Really, in the last year, since last September, um, we've launched our church code. 
um, which you can see, and if, don't read too closely because you'll see we just copied and pasted most of the church codes you see uh, in the lobby. Um, it kind of worked, you know, so I'm like, I don't know, let's see if we're running back twice, see if it works. <laughs> and uh, we've launched Growth Track uh, in the last year. We've launched New Friends Dessert. We've got some Growth Track fans. We launched New Friends Dessert. We launched uh, our junior high ministry. Uh, we launched full service kids ministry, which they had never had uh, up until when we, when we got there. We've also launched a prayer room, and we've gotten the opportunity and, and the chance to pray for countless of people in the midst of some of their de- deepest and darkest moments. Uh, and we've been bent on introducing people to Jesus. It's in our Why We Exist statement as well. Uh, and we've seen some amazing things. We've gotten to see 361 new people fill out a new person card at our Connect since last September. We've had over 120 people come to our new friends dessert to meet us in the last year. And the last year, we've had the honor and privilege of baptizing 73 people and dedicating 36 children. And we've gotten to watch our church attendance go from about 380 to about 550 uh, in this last month which has been so exciting. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you because you guys, are you guys, you guys help us in so many amazing ways. I mean, you might not know it, but like from serious artwork to graphics, I'm hounding Bob. Bobby has literally told me at times, okay, there's the last thing. Leave me alone for a month. Okay, thank you, Bobby, but thank you so much. Um, from this financial blessing and this financial gift to help steward, and I'm telling you, like the gospel doesn't just work down here in Florida. It works up in the New York, in New York with the liberals too like it's some it's been incredible to watch people come to Jesus and and honestly it's just an extension when when your when your church pastor when your pastors get up and say you don't just give to Cape Christian you give through Cape Christian I'm just here to tell you like you give through Cape Christian and I was here when we started we started the for everyone campaign I was one of the the five exec pastors on staff and I was here and we launched it and I thought yeah this is going to be for everyone we all talked about really it's outward fo- yeah it's for everybody it's for everybody in the area it's for everybody in the community I never in my wildest dreams thought that it would be for me too but I want you know I'm 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 a representation and a whole church in New York is a representation that is for them too and you guys have continued to steward and push and move in that direction so you're doing it here you're incredible this church is amazing but you're helping you're helping grow the kingdom all the way up in New York as well and I'm just here initially to say thank you so you know have a great week and you know you all I'm going to teach if that's okay. I'm going to preach too. I have 30 minutes left. They told me that's it. And if you go a minute over, I get fired and they take the check back. So I'm like, man, that's rough. Um, but I love the series y'all are in, uh, Journey, right? We're journeying through the Old Testament. Uh, and I have the open arms, um, you know, song that Max sang so beautifully. I asked, could I open with it? And they were, no, no, you know, they chose Mac, which I thought I was a little offended. But when Bobby called me and said, hey, we're doing open arms, I said, awesome. I know that song. He's like, what, you do? I was like, yeah, with arms wide open. <laughs> He was like, wrong era, bro. Like, whole decade off. It's 17 years off, man. I was like, well, listen, I was born in the 90s, but he was like, I don't know if we can have you speak. I was like, but I was conceived in the 80s. So then they brought me back. They let me figure that out. 
You could do the math on that later. But the meta narrative that we're looking at, right? And I love this, right? The journey through the Old Testament as you circle the scripture's meta narrative. It's so important. I think it's so missed by so many that story, scripture is story. Scripture is story. I'm telling you from within the book, it's story. It wasn't ever, but when it was originally written, it wasn't chunked up into verses and chapters. That's good for us to be able to locate things. But when we read it all chunked up, we miss the huge meta narratives that are being told both within book to book and from book to book and to the complete collection of the books, right? We miss it. And so the scripture provides this amazing story uh, that we get to tell. And in this meta narrative last week, you talked about the garden, right? Pastor Corey knows that he talked about the garden, but do you know that you talked about the garden last week? Okay, the garden. And it was all about God taking chaos and turning it into Okay, we got a couple. It was all about God taking chaos and turning it into order. And if you follow the story, God makes a promise, right, to a man named Abraham that he and his descendants will become God's chosen people. And we pick up that story at the beginning of Exodus where Abraham and his descendants are in Egypt. And so Egypt is, in, is the second place we're going to talk about. Everybody say Egypt. So next week when Pastor Cor walks out and goes, we talked about the garden. And then last week, Pastor Joseph talked about you're going to do that. That's good. It's good. It's good. Give it up for yourself. Give it a little high five to your neighbor. Just a little one, you know. That's only partial credit. So as we fast forward to Exodus, here's what you need to know. When we walk into Egypt, here's what you need to know. The Israelites are God's chosen people at this point, right? And they have been in oppression in Egypt for 400 years. I mean, it's gotten bad. Look at your neighbor say bad. Yeah. It's gotten real bad. I mean, it's gotten so bad. You can read Exodus 1, 11 through 14. It says, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. And they worked them ruthlessly. Go 14. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And again, it pushes it one more time, right? And in all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And they didn't just do that. It doesn't end there. If you open up your Bible, it's this thing. It's a collection of 66 books. Some of you might have heard about it. If you open it up and you start to actually read the chapter for yourself, you know it didn't end in verse 14. Um, the passage goes on to actually tell us about how Pharaoh decided to actually start killing their children, right? And by the end of the, of the chapter, it says now the Pharaoh decrees every male that's born needs to be thrown into the Nile River because he's so afraid of what the Israelites may do if they continue to grow and rise up. And so the first thing I want you to focus in on is that when you talk about oppression, when you talk about heartbreak, when you talk about the depths of despair, when you talk about depravity, when you talk about captivity, when you talk about slavery, when you talk, you name it, the Israelites could claim it. You name it, the writer of Exodus says they can claim it which is really important for you to know if you're actually going to dive into the story. And I want to encourage you when you read scripture to dive into the story, to walk it out and recognize that the writer is trying to describe something to you. He's trying to let you know that no matter what's going on, whatever is about to come, 
applies. You can't get worse. I mean, I don't, can you get worse than 400 years of oppression? Can you get worse of your baby boy being fl- thrown into the Nile River? Can you get worse than the deepest and the darkest of 400 years of oppression? He's trying to set the stage and go, it's about as bad as it can get. And so what's to come is really important for those of you in the room that may be in the moment where it's as bad as it gets. You might be living in that spot today. Hey, I want to tell you, by the way, you're in a really good place. You're in a healthy place. Like the physical, like right here, sitting here. You're coming and searching for the presence of God. Coming in a healthy community. But you might be in the midst of the depths of darkness. And I want you to know today, this is for you. This is for you. It might be your sin. It might be an addiction. It might be depravity. It might be your darkness. It might be somebody else. It might be, it might be the system you're in. The Israelites were in a system. It wasn't even their thing. Somebody else's thing. But they were in it. And God says, whether it's yours, the writer of Exodus today is saying, whether it's yours or whether it's somebody else holding you there, you need to know this is about as bad as it gets. And that's how we enter in to Exodus 3. To Exodus 3. Because I want you to know the writer of Exodus spends just about a chapter, right? Like one chapter on how bad it had gotten. Okay, y'all ready for that one? Okay. One chapter on how bad it has gotten. But the writer of Exodus wanted you to know the next part really quickly. He wanted you to know where God is in the midst of your pain. Where is God in the midst of your depravity? Where is God in the midst of your heart sick? Where is God in the midst of, of, of everything that's going on? And so we jump back into the story, and, and, and Moses, this is chapter 2. We, we're not going to spend much time on chapter 2. Moses is doing some shepherding, in the, and he's minding his own business, and God comes, he's like, I'm about to mess it all up. You know, Mo, well, Moses did other things in chapter 2, the beginning of Exodus 3, right? Then, then, we, then Moses started shepherding. It's just Bible stuff. Don't worry about it. You don't read it, so you won't know to fact check me. You know, you have to actually open it to, to call me out on it. There's like three people in the front row that could be like, hey, you're messing up the chapter. Oh, he's <laughs> We got four more services. I'll earn it back. <laughs> God appears in the form of a burning bush. He tells Moses who he is. He tells Moses who he is. We're going to come back to that. That's a powerful moment, right? And then he says this powerful statement, right? And before you put it up, I want you to understand. I want you to understand. I'm speaking to the people who have some darkness going on. I'm speaking to the people who have some issues going on. I'm speaking to the people who, whether it's your stuff or somebody else's stuff, but it's holding you down, you feel captive today. And you're coming in today. And you're wondering, where is God in the midst of my pain? Where is God in the midst of my heartache? Where does he show up? Well, the writer of Exodus go, Exodus 3, 7, what's it say? The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. See, the first thing I want you to know is that in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your pain, if you're willing to cry out to God, God hears your cries. He hears your cry. He hears your cry. He sees your misery. He understands the pain. He's not, he's not, pay attention to the beginning of the story already. He's not the far off Pharaoh 
who's inflicting pain and judgment and saying, that's right, you're there, you deserve it. That's not the story. That's not who God is. That's who Pharaoh is. God is the God who is a father who sees, hears, and is concerned for you. There's a wild difference. God's the one who's like, terrible things are happening, and he wants to get close with you. That's who God is in the story. As we open it up, immediately beginning, we start to see. See, God is a loving father who has, what's the, what's the song we're singing? Oh, he has open arms. I was going to try to start singing, and then I'm like, no. Now I'm like, I should. And then I'm like, nah. He has open arms towards you. God comes to you with open arms. In the midst of your hurt, in the midst of your pain, and says, and says here I am with open arms. I see your misery. I hear your cries. I'm concerned about your suffering. Yeah. And I wanted to tell you today, like, I think this one's hard for some of us. And I want to ask you today, I have really two primary questions just about point number one. And the first one is this, when was the last time you cried out to God? Are you willing to cry out to God? And if not so, what's holding you back? Can I just say there's not many of us. I don't think our, our, our American world doesn't really set us up to be crying out to God very well. So often, we're, maybe we're too prideful for it. So often, it's kind of, what am I supposed to cry out to him for? If I'm hungry, I go to the grocery store. Come on. If I'm sick, I go to the hospital. My things are met. Yeah, but what about the thing that you're, you consistently distract yourself, using this to distract yourself? What about those stuff? When's the last time you sat in silence and really just sat in silence? A couple days ago, I went and I sat in silence. I had, I had pushed the envelope as far as I could. And I'm telling you, I had pushed it as far as I could. And I got to the point, I was like, God, I just need to hear from you. And I went and I just sat in silence for two days. Nothing. No music, no worship music, no nothing. Just a Bible and a journal. That was it. And just sat there with him. And before long, I didn't even know what was in me. I just knew I needed something from God. I didn't even know where it was going to go. I was just sitting there. And before anything else came out, something began to happen. I began to cry out. I began to cry out to God. I began to tell God, I don't understand what's going on. I'm, I'm missing what you're trying to do in this season. I don't see it. I don't get it. I feel like I'm trying to be an obedient servant to you. I feel like I'm trying to be a son to you. I feel like I, I heard your voice to come and do this and say it this way and preach it this way. I feel like I've sat with you and been with you. And as I walk in this direction, I don't know where you're at. I don't see you. Sometimes it doesn't sound like a morning cry. Sometimes when you cry out to God, it sounds like there's a little anger in your voice. And I want you to know I got it all out. It took me about 10 minutes of, of I'm just crying out. I'm just shouting out to God. I only gave you about a 30-second dose today. I had 10 minutes in me. And then I sat down. Energy out. Speak. And he spoke. God began to speak to me. It was like, I, you know what I heard? You know what I got? Hey. I hear you. I see you. I'm concerned about the things that are concerning you. He met me with open arms. He wasn't angry at me.
When was the last time you got real with God, real enough for him to hear your cries? It's okay. It's healthy. It's good. He's a heavenly father. He wants to hear it. He can handle it. Don't give God your lies. Give God your truth. Watch what he does with it. When was the last time you cried? And I want to ask you one other question. I want to ask you this question. What will you pass on to the next generation with, when it comes to crying out to God? I want to, I want to go, what's the story? Do you understand? What's the context of the story? So often, some, some of us aren't crying out to God maybe because we're a little prideful. Some of us aren't crying out to God, right, because, because we're getting bitter or we've gotten bitter. Well, he didn't answer the last time, and he answered the second time, and he answered the third time, and he answered the fourth time, and he answered the fifth time. But let me remind you what the story of Exodus is about. 400 years of oppression. 400. 400 years of oppression. 400 years of being beat down. 400 years of being told exactly what to do and how to do it. 400 years, 50, meaning generation after generation after generation after generation after generation is being treated. You want to talk about unjust, unjustly for 400 years. You want to talk about, now I'm watching my kids having to go through it. Now my grandkids are having to go through it. Now my great-grandkids are having to go through it. Could you imagine the pain? Could you imagine, ah, but you know what was happening? 400 years later, somehow there was a cry coming out of Egypt from the Israelites still saying, I don't know how and I don't know when, but there's a God named Yahweh and he told us he's coming for us. <laughs> Too many of us in some way, shape, or form, are you willing to cry out to God to the day you give your last breath and on your deathbed, cry out to God and hand the baton of faith to the next generation and say, I don't know. I never saw it in my day. I never saw it in my lifetime. But here, I know he's coming through. That's faith. That's faith. Too often we are passing on, too often when it comes to crying out to God, we are passing on a baton of bitterness rather than a baton of faith. Somebody here got it right. And 400 years later, we see them still crying out. And here's what you need to know. The cry always inaugurates the movement. There's a cry first, and then there's a movement. See, Exodus 3 doesn't end in Exodus 3, 7. There's another verse. Exodus 3.8 shows up, right? Exodus 3.8 shows up and it says, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. Is there more? Yes. And flowing, a land flowing with milk and honey. The second thing you need to know in the midst of your cry, in the midst of your cry is that God doesn't just listen and then move on. Eventually, well, you just told me for my life, maybe. That's so short-sighted. Eventually, when God shows up, God shows up. And he doesn't just show up. God shows up with a plan. 
God always shows up with a plan. God has unbelievable compassion. God looks at your misery. God hears your cries. God's concerned about your suffering. And then when he sits there, he's not just like, God's not the God where he just like puts his arm around you and says, man, it really stinks. If only I knew someone or something that could do something about, well, I'm all out. (laughs) That's your best friend. That ain't God. Okay, that was a joke, everybody. Loosen up. <laughs> like, how do you know my friend? <laughs> Whoops. God's the God who shows up and he's concerned about your, your suffering, but he also has a plan for your suffering. He has a plan for the captivity. He has a plan for the darkness. He has a plan for, he has a plan for the oppression. He has a plan. He hears you. He, God, because God is unbelievably compassionate. God's compassionate. What do you mean he's compassionate? I don't mean pity. I don't mean, oh, he kind of cares about it a little bit, but not too much to do something. No, no, compassion. I've always redefined compassion as passionate love turned into action. And I'll tell you why. Because in the gospels even, right? In the gospels, you see Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, every time he shows up on the scene, and every time in the gospels you read, it says Jesus had compassion on them. There's an action that follows. And it's always an action that brings healing. It's always an action that brings goodness. It's always an action that points to God. It's always an action that points to a God of goodness. And see, where did Jesus get that from? Jesus is just simply the greatest revelation of the Father. And the Father has been doing this for a really long time. When we look at the meta narrative, it's like he never did it. He did it in the garden. He did it in Egypt. He's going to do it in the other three locations that I'm not going to give away right now. When he shows up, he has compassion on who he sees. He doesn't just listen. He doesn't just see. He's not just concerned. He has compassion. So God shows up and he has a plan of action. He's like, okay, now what are we going to do about it? And see, so he sees his, his people in pain and he moves into action. And see, here's the point. God doesn't just show up with a plan. I love this part. This is my favorite part of the message. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay, an action point for is really good too, but, you know, stay tuned. God shows up and, everybody say it with me, God shows up and shows out. Everybody say shows out. Shows out. Deion Sanders will be so proud of me right now. God isn't just a show up God. He's a show out God. He, when God shows up, he shows up. He leads the Israelites out of captivity, but in doing so, as he leads them out of captivity, as he becomes the God of rescue and redemption, which is what Egypt really represents in our story, the God of rescue and redemption, the God of rescue and redemption, as he does it, he does it in the most magnificent, powerful, most awe-inspiring, amazing way possible. He goes right up to Egypt, and Egypt is the powerhouse. Egypt is, Egypt is the Michigan of our day. Okay, it didn't work. I tried. I tried. I tried. I knew it should be. I was, I, he's like the Alabama or the Georgia. You know, that's what Egypt. Oh, wait, I don't, we don't want to be Egypt anyway. Perfect. Yeah, Egypt is the Alabama of the day. Come on, everybody. <laughs> Egypt is the powerhouse. You couldn't beat Egypt. Egypt was so powerful. And they had all these gods that they believed attributed to their power. And let me just remind you and tell you that Pharaoh was the number one god in Egypt. He was the man. He was the God. He was the God. He was it. He was the premium God. And there's a bunch of gods in Egypt. Pharaoh was the God of gods. That's who he was. And really they had like, in Egypt, they had like 
these lists, like there were certain gods that were really powerful and then other gods that were like semi-powerful and then other gods that were like the most powerful. You could almost call them like the top 10 list. Everybody say top 10. Top 10, right? And so you have all of these gods and pharaohs at the top of them. What you might not know is that then when God shows up and decides to show out, he isn't just going to like, okay, guys, let's sneak out the back door. I got a back door. Okay, let's, come on, come on quick, get everybody out because we don't want Pharaoh to find out because if he finds out, I don't know if I could take him out. So come on, let's get, get quick, sneak, quick, 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 quick. No, 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 no. When God shows up, he goes, oh, what's the most powerful gods? And there's how many plagues? 10 plagues. Everybody say 10. 10. And how many gods were in the top 10? Yeah, because I gave you the answer. So there's 10 and 10. And so God literally goes at number 10 and he goes, first plague, boom. Then, is, then, the, then the second plague is at God number nine. Then the third plague is at God number eight. Then the fourth plague is at God number six. And he just starts walking up and he's going, oh, Pharaoh, you think you're God of these captive people? Watch what I'm about to do. I'm going to take that guy. I'm going to take this guy. I'm going to take on that guy. And I'm going to start handing out plagues to every guy. In fact, God turns into Oprah Winfrey of plagues here pretty soon. He, everybody get a plague. Everybody got a plague. You a God, you get a plague. You another God, that's cute. You get a plague. Hey, you get a plague too. Hey, you know what? I'm going to throw a lot past your plagues. <laughs> yeah. He's having, and then he gets all the way to the top with Pharaoh as the number one God. And God takes directly on Pharaoh, meaning the God of gods, the Egyptian God of gods, gets triumphed by the actual God of gods. His name is Yahweh, and when he shows up, he shows out. Plague after plague after plague after plague. Then they get to the Red Sea. And what does God do? What does Yahweh do? What does he do? Splits the Red Sea. Woohoo! Then we get from the Red Sea to the, to the desert. And then they don't have any water. So what does God do? Provides water from a rock. And then they don't have anything to eat. So what does God do? Creates, creates food from nowhere. Manna, yes, manna. Food from nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. And then they have to get across the Jordan River. So what does God do? Splits the Jordan River, and then there's walls in the way. Ah, there's seas, there's walls, there's mountains, there's caves, there's deserts. God, all this stuff. What does he do? Walk around the wall. Boom, he brings the walls down. What am I trying to say? Listen, you might have come in with some depravity. You might have come in with some darkness. You might be walking around in your life right now, but going, no, you don't understand. There's a sea in my way. There's a wall in my way. There's no food in my way. There's nothing for me to drink in my way. There's an alarm going off in my way. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to a God who continues, right? He shows up and shows out. And you might be in the deepest and darkest of moments, but God is trying to say, it doesn't matter about the sea. It doesn't matter about the wall. It doesn't matter about the lack of food. It doesn't matter about the lack of drink. Just stay with me. I show up and I show out. Don't forget the God that you're serving. Don't forget that the God that you're serving has a name, Yahweh, meaning God with us. And he has all of the power. He's been showing up and showing out for a long time. No matter how dry the desert, how high the waves, how large the walls, how long the oppression has lasted, God can make a way. And so here's, here's why I close. Because I have two questions for you today. Two. Number one is this. Number one is this. Are you crying out to him? 
Because the cry inaugurates the movement. God will show up and show out. God will show up with a plan. Your responsibility, especially if you're in captivity, is are you crying out? And listen to me, church. If that means when you're 80 years old and you're never going to see it, cry out one last time. And hand that baton of faith to the next generation because, my God, they need it. Are you crying out? Here's your cries. Cry. Shout. Lift up your voice to a God who has a plan, to a God who will show out one day. And number two, I want to ask you a second question, which is this. Are you willing to move? Are you willing to move? Because there's a significant moment right here. God gets, am I allowed to stand right here? I was all over the stage first service. I was moving in the dark. They were like, you can't, you gotta. God gets the Israelites out of Egypt because he's the God of rescue and redemption. So he gets them out. He rescues them in a powerful way. And right as soon, it's a significant moment, they get them out of the, of, of the worst of situations. Right as soon as they get out, there's this significant moment that happens where they're caught now. The Red Sea's in front of them. And what happens behind them is the Egyptian army, Pharaoh, starts coming down after him. Because no matter how far you go, darkness will always chase you. It's never just going to let you walk out and be free. It's going to chase you. And right in this moment, the Israelites start to cry out to God. God, no, see, what'd you do? All those powerful works for nothing. What? There weren't enough graves in Egypt, so you're going to have me die here? By the way, just note, they're still in captive mindset. That's what captive mindset does. Moses, being a great leader, stops him. He goes, oh, hold on, I got something for you. Okay, and then he starts to talk to them. Moses answered the people and said, do not be afraid. Everybody say, stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Now go to the next one. The Egyptians you will see today, you will never see again. Go ahead. Go. Come on. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I want to re- tell you something. This was, revelation for, this was revelatory for me in the last year. This is a really, really good message. Stand firm. Be still. If you're in captivity, that's your only real option. Notice the whole time in captivity, what are the Israelites doing? They're working for a master named Pharaoh. They're not making anything happen. They're not making miracles happen. They can barely survive. If that's you, stand firm, be still, and cry out to God with everything in you. But the moment they get out of Egypt, Moses goes, okay, stand firm, be still. But then he goes over and he has a conversation with God. And then God says, then the Lord said to Moses, who said stand firm and be still? Moses did. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Why are you crying out? Because that's what we've done. That's what we do in captivity. But you're no longer in captivity, son. You're no longer in captivity, daughter. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Tell the Israelites to move on. Why? Because Pharaoh 
was a master who wanted subdued slaves, but God is a father who wants free children. But the freedom's going to require some responsibility. The freedom requires you to take a step. If you stay here, that darkness is going to swallow you whole. And you ain't under that control anymore. You're not under that sin anymore. You're not under that depravity anymore. You're not those people anymore. You're not his people anymore. But you're going to have to move. Move. Today, right now, I'm looking at a group of people. And I want you to know that Jesus already died 2,000 years ago. And when he died, he said, it is finished. And there was a veil that was torn. And from that day on, it represented the idea that this imaginary line has been broken forever. And when his children call upon his name, they are able to move from from death to life, from darkness to light, from defeat to victory. Right here, right now, you have the ability in Jesus, cry out to him and then move on. Move. 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 Move, church. It's time. It's time. Some of you are in the deepest and darkest. And my encouragement to you today, forget all of the others, just cry out to God. Here in the deepest, here in the dark, cry out to Jesus right now. Right now, cry out to Jesus. You can make him your savior right now. He can start to do work in your life right now. Get away with him. Silence everything else and start to actually spend time with him and watch him free things that you didn't even, that you, 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 maybe some of y'all have been working in therapy for years. And if you just get away with Jesus, I'm not saying it's always worked. Sometimes therapy is the thing. But listen, Jesus wants to spend time with you and I believe he can free you. He can free you from things that you, for years people have been trying to do work. Sit with him. Let him hear you cry. Let him hear cries of your heart the depths of depravity do not censor yourself for God he does not need your censorship he wants your sonship he wants your daughtership that's for some of you in the house for some of you in the house this is your moment you've just been standing here God are you gonna God are you gonna God are you gonna he's going I freed you I freed you Let your foot hit the water. I'll still do the work. Don't get it twisted. Don't ever get it twisted. I've tried. It don't work. You can't move the waters. And you can't bring the wall down. You can't provide the food. And you can't provide the water in the desert. But if you move, he'll provide. If you move, he'll split the sea. If you move, he'll have the walls crumble. Move today. Move into life. Move into light. Move. And the last thing I want to say, and I'll get off. This is for you as a church community. This isn't just individual. It's never individual. It's never individual. It's a lie from our society. It's corporate. It's community. It's ecclesia. You're in an ecclesia, and you're on the cusp of something. And I can feel it in the spirit. Nobody, no. I can feel in the spirit, y'all standing at a line. 
and you're like, God, are you going to move? You're free. You're a free community. And you've got awesome leadership. You've got Moses and Joshua's in the house. The Israelites could have been to the promised land in 40 days, but they waited 40 years. You've got three locations in this story. You've got Egypt, you've got the desert, and you've got the promised land. And they could not control Egypt, and they could not control the promised land. But it was up to them to move in the desert. It wasn't until their foot hit the water in the Jordan. In other words, they passed the test. They failed the first time. And God said, I gotta, if you're going to get into the promised land, you've got to have a new mindset. And then this time they said, our feet will hit the water with faith. Church, stop praying for God to do something that, you're un, that you, and, and you just want to stand still. Start moving. Let your foot hit the water. And pray, God will make the way. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for everything that they represent. I thank you for the kingdom influencers that they are. God, I pray for people who are accepting Jesus right now. If you're accepting Jesus, I just want to encourage you to say yes, say yes, say yes right now. So you can say it out loud. You can say it in your mind. You can say, but say yes to Jesus. Say yes, God, come. I want to make, you are Lord of my life from here on out. I want to walk in your ways. I want to follow you. I want to listen to you. I want to be with you. God, I pray that you meet with them. I know you're going to meet with them in such deep ways that there'll be such deep revelation. God, I pray for those of us in the room. We've been walking with you for a minute, but we haven't been moving. We've just been waiting on you to do something somehow. God, I pray that you free, recognize, help us recognize how freed we are in you. God, you're leading it. You led into the Red Sea. You led through the Jordan. You led around the walls of Jericho. But God, we got to move. We have to activate. God, I pray for a bunch of activators. I pray for activators that reveal the kingdom of Jesus. That are so different. They smell different. They act different. They feel different than the spirit of Pharaoh and of Egypt. God, come rescue and redeem us as you always have and as you always will. And I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we love you guys. Hey, if you said yes to Jesus for the first time in the house, hey, we, I know this church, this church like home for me, we want to walk that journey out with you. We don't want to just leave you in that. So if you would, text Cape Yes to 94,000. Just text Cape Yes to 94,000 right now. We want to walk the beginning of your journey out with you and be there with you in the midst. Other than that, we love you guys so much, and we'll see you back here for week three of Journey.